The following is a reflection on the readings for Tuesday of the ninth week in Ordinary Time. The Gospel is from Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. In the Gospel, the Pharisees try to trap Jesus by this question regarding the payment of tax. They think they have got him one way or another. If Jesus tells the Jews to pay taxes to their Roman enemies, he will be considered a traitor by his people. If he answers that the Jews should not pay the taxes, the Roman officials will arrest him. Either way, the Pharisees think Jesus' ministry is finished. But Jesus, knowing their intention, gives a remarkable answer that not only silences his enemies, but provides us with a profound truth regarding our relationship with God and the secular society in which we live and the duties we owe to both. In a sense, we should really thank the Pharisees for their trick question on the payment of taxes. Yes, it was a malicious attempt to destroy Jesus' ministry, but his reply opens up a new way of understanding that goes to the depth of who we are. So let us look at the answer. Jesus tells the Pharisees to produce a coin and points out that since it is marked by an image of Caesar, since his face is on it and his inscription, they should give to Caesar that which belongs to him. But, he adds, give to God the things which belong to God. What's remarkable about this response is what it implies for us today, because a coin is not the only thing imprinted with an image. We also are deeply marked. In Genesis chapter 1, it states that we have been created in the very image and likeness of God. This image goes to the depth of our nature. There is not any part of us that's not marked by God's image. Yes, this image was obscured by original sin, but by God's grace we have been recreated in Christ. We have been born again. Baptism and confirmation imprint us with a sacramental seal, and this image is indelible. But what is more, it's the image of Christ crucified, Christ in the very act of love by which he gave himself away, marked not only in creation, but more importantly, in redemption. That is who we are, servants of love. Since we bear God's image, we belong to him and are to give back to God our entire lives. This then answers the often difficult and tangled question of the separation of church and state or how our relationship with God interacts with our civil responsibilities. Jesus was not denying Caesar or the state their occasional coins of tribute. Rather, he affirmed that as humans we owe God the total tribute of our minds and hearts, souls and spirits. In the same way that Caesar looks for his image on a coin, God looks for his image in our souls and throughout our lives. What does this mean, practically speaking? Since we owe our lives to God, then everything we do ultimately is a rendering back of ourselves to God in every thought, inclination, and decision, every promise and commitment, every vow. In scriptural language, St. Paul puts it this way, quote, So whether you eat or sleep or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. End of quote. When we apply this truth to our involvement with a secular culture, then this much has to be affirmed. There is, for the Christian, no demarcation or opposition between church and state, or politics and religion, private worship, or the public square. That's because God created and cares providentially for each realm. Since this is so, 
these realms are deeply related. The secular is meant to uphold the sacred, at least in protecting freedom of expression, worship, and conscience, which, thankfully, in Canada, we have inscribed in our Constitution, and we pray for those millions of people in the world dominated by a totalitarian state that crushes these freedoms. At the same time, the sacred is meant to infiltrate the secular and ennoble it and raise it up so that it can be at its best. Some examples of this relationship include the following. Politics is a secular realm, no doubt, but its mission is nothing less than upholding truth and justice for the common good. Truth and justice are, after all, attributes of God. Another example is art and artistic expression, which again is a secular operation, but at their best they uphold beauty, another attribute of God. Positive law, from the smallest traffic regulation to the complexity of the criminal code, upholds the good, which is another attribute of God. So God thoroughly penetrates both realms and in his providence wants each to cooperate so that as the great French philosopher Peter Morin would say, quote, society becomes a place where it is easy for man to be good, end of quote. It is only when these two realms become demarcated to the point where they are hostile to each other that problems arise. When, for example, the secular culture insists that it must operate without any influence from the sacred, it begins to unravel, degenerate, which is exactly what we are seeing today, a culture in moral crisis where it is more difficult to be good and easy to miss the mark. What is our role as Christians? To penetrate the temporal sphere and ennoble it, raise it up with the very light of the gospel. This is the great call of the Second Vatican Council to the laity. It is the laity's dignity and mission. You are uniquely positioned to carry it out because you have, quote, dual citizenship. You carry two passports. By birth, you are a Canadian citizen. By rebirth, in baptism, a citizen of heaven. So you have authority in both realms. But how precisely do you succeed in this mission? As St. Paul would say, Put on the mind of Christ. When you think with the mind of Christ and his church, then no matter where you are or what activity you are engaged in, the sacred will be brought to bear and have its influence. But it is radical because the image we bear is Christ crucified, love giving itself sacrificially. No sense of domination or triumphalism, we are better than you, but rather in humility and loving service, with compassion, encouragement, and generosity, we are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I will conclude by giving two concrete ways that we can succeed in this important mission. First, a good part of our lives is taken up with labor in the secular realm. Now, one can see it as simply instrumental, as a means to an end. In other words, I work to put food on the table and that's it. It's a necessary evil. I don't like my job, can't wait to retire, I hate Monday mornings. Thank God it's Friday. All of this is a minimalist view, and quite self-centered. When, on the other hand, we put on the mind of Christ, work can become so much more, even a vocation, an offering to God, and if necessary, a sacrificial offering. 
When we bring that attitude to our workplace, everything changes. Our attitude, our care for the job, the customers we serve, and our co-workers. They will notice something different in us, which is the image of Christ crucified. They may not be able to verbalize it, but they will notice something different in us and perhaps begin to ask questions. The second example comes from marriage and family. It is, after all, a secular institution insofar as it is state-regulated. You need to obtain a license in order to enter into it, but the church has elevated it to a sacrament. This is our entry point to influence the culture. When we make use of that sacramental grace unique to marriage, then our homes become the domestic church to the glory of God. Inspired by grace, decisions can be made that are countercultural. For example, the family prays together and are inspired to set aside money each week for the poor. That may mean cutting back on expenditures, staying away from expensive brand names, and opting instead for more generic merchandise so that we are in solidarity with the poor. This is how we rock our world, and in so doing, find fulfillment and joy. Because we are living the truth, Christ crucified in us and through us, that joy becomes itself very influential. Let us pray. As we continue to be salt and light in a world struggling through this pandemic and with the darkness of sin, may your image that we bear witness love, peace, compassion, and understanding. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen.